All right, welcome back to the Broken Home Podcast. And tonight, we got another special guest with us. We got Cartoon. How you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How you doing? Doing good, thanks. Thanks for showing up tonight, my man. So, why don't you give us a little breakdown where you're from? Okay, uh, I'm from South Central Los Angeles, born and raised. Been there my whole life. Currently staying in Alabama right now, though. 58 years old. I got incarcerated in Alabama, and when I got out of prison, I just decided to stay here. Oh, you set up shop there instead of going mm -hmm. back. All right, on. When you were living in Los Angeles, what was what was the home like? Did you have your mother, father, brother, sisters back at home? Typical single mother family. Me, my sisters, just moms. You know, she she raised his pops. He wasn't nowhere on the scene till uh till years and years later. We didn't get along, period. Um, tried to go stay with him for a little while. That didn't work out. But uh, just not predominant, you know, just basically raised by just moms. And my two sisters, you know, got a lot of cousins, aunties, uncles, and stuff like that, too, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same story for me and Mark. I didn't meet my dad till I was 13, 12 or 13. And I actually fucking hunted down Mark's father <laughs> about eight years ago. I found him on Facebook, and I introduced the two of them. Really? Yeah. Met him yeah. For the, yeah, some some Oprah shit. I <laughs> met him for the first time in my 30s and uh it was weird answering the door it looked just like him. Like it's for it real. Was, yeah. Yeah. Y'all yeah. get along? We get along just fine. Yeah. It okay. was just um my him and my mother when when she got pregnant, it was she was very young and he ended up going a different way uh being a young kid he 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 was with a, a crowd doing a lot of harder drugs and and alcohol and my mother's pregnant with twins and she didn't want that around so yeah that's that's how i basically didn't know him for the first 30 33 years of my life right right okay yeah. wow yeah. i've seen some um I ain't gonna lie. Over the years, I've seen some um some crazy reunions come about. All happy, I hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, most of them, most of them. I can say, yeah, all of them. If it turned bad, it turned bad later on when I wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you were a youngster, who did you have as a role model? Who did you look up to? Well, first it was my um my older cousin Walter. He he passed away. Uh, without a father figure being there, so whenever he would, when he when um when my cousin Walter would come around, he was like he was like God to me. Um, anything he said, I did. Anything he said, I mean, you know, the whole hookup. If he said a man was supposed to be this, that's what it was. If he said a man was supposed to be that, walk, talk, look, act, whatever he said, I took it to heart. You know what I'm saying? Then he got as when he got older, he started going in and out of prison, and so as I started getting older. I started looking up to my older homeboys in the street. Like, you know, most of my homeboys, you know, coming up, that's what we did. The older homies, we looked we looked to them for guidance, you know, um, father figures, the whole hookup. You know, whatever they said, it, it went. Absolutely. That's what it was like for me, too. It was, that was the older guys in the neighborhood that became almost like the father role. As a youngster, we would look up to those guys and we yeah. would we would follow what they're doing. If they're breaking into cars and shit like that, you better know. Then we're going to be following the next exactly. night doing the same stupid shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
even even with beefs, there would be uh, the older guys would be beefing with people in the next complex over, and, and we don't know none of the shit, but just to 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 feel like we're we're part of it or something like that, we would start. Oh yeah, yeah, that's them. Let's get them. Bullshit like that. <laughs> the same way, and I mean exactly the same way in L.A. in the gang culture. You know what I'm saying? Whatever enemies that they had. When we got old enough, we adopted the same enemies. You know what I'm saying? Our old homies didn't like y'all. Okay, so now we don't like y'all. And, and and as it goes on, goes on, you know, generation, generation, generation coming up, they don't even know what the beef is for no more. All they know is the homies ahead of them didn't like these cats over here, so therefore they don't like them. Yeah, it's like an inherited beef. You don't even know why. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking about the gang culture, you're from Avalon Crips? Yeah, I'm from Avalon Gangster Crip. Yeah. Avalon Gangster Crip. When did you first get in with them? Oh, when I was like around 12, 13 years old. About, you could say about, yeah, going from 12 going into 13. Was that a choice that, that you made or, or yeah. did it just kind of happen that way? No, nah, I, I knew, I knew, I knew years and years ahead of time that I was going to be a Crip because, like I said, you know, my older cousin, he was a Crip. And when you know once, and then you know when I was a young kid, he would tell me, "Yeah, when you get old enough, you're gonna be a crip, and you're gonna woo woo woo." And so, uh, you know, hey, like I say, I idolized him. So in my mind, that was it for me. You know, what I'm saying the first chance I got to become one, I was gonna do that because Walter said that that's what I had to become. And so I, you know, as the years went on and I started growing up and getting older, I was just you know chomping at the bit, looking at the chance to go become a crip. So you know, yeah, I knew I knew that's what was gonna from the age of like eight, nine years old, maybe, I knew that's what I was going to be when I got older. In your neighborhood, was it basically everybody was associated to the Crips or was it yeah. more of a, a choice? You get to choose, pick and choose if you want to be <laughs> well, or not. Well, it's the thing like, see, you know, gang politics in LA are different. In this area, if this is all like Avalon right here, when you come up, that's what you're going to be. Now, you know, there's always a few that slip between the cracks that, you know, don't have anything to do with gangs and all that. And, um, you know, okay, cool. But 90%, I'm going to say 95%, if you live here, you're going to be from here. It's as simple as that. You know, we going to, whether it's pressure from, you know, the older homies, when they see you, you know what I'm saying? When you start to get older, you might be walking to the store or, you know, going to school and older homies see you and they, they own you. They like, yeah, fool, you know, hey, you ready? You ready? You ready? You be like, you know, ready for what? We ready to put you on the set. You know, it's time for you to gang bang. And that's how it goes. Um, Because you got to look at it like this here. The enemies to wherever that, whatever that set is, the enemies, they don't know if you bang, if you, if you from that set or not, if you gang affiliate or not. So when they come through to do damage to you, they're going to get you. They're not going to stop and ask if you from there or not, you know, the thing in LA is if you live there, you from there. Guilty by association. Right. Right. Were you, were you scared to get put on? No, no, it, no, no. Couldn't, couldn't wait. I could, boy, look, hey, whoo, couldn't wait. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I hear from, from most people is that they were looking forward to that initiation so they can say no I, I got put on i can represent this officially right if you're scared you know what i'm saying the people around you they gonna see that so if you you know what i'm saying when the when the fighting starts and you know when it, however it is we call it getting courted on mm -hmm. so when you get courted on 
And okay, say you might you are right, for instance, like the the summer of whatever year, it might be okay. Well, look, we finna bring all six of y'all in um now. So like you'd be like, well, okay. And um, like when you get in the park or get in the alley or get in back of the apartments or get wherever you're gonna get, boom. Okay, now you know you're gonna be like, okay, you first. And he get out there and he mixing them up. And uh, you know what I'm saying, you looking and you sit over there scared and like like a little punk. You know, the older homies that's standing around, they're going to see that. And they're going to be like, no, nah, you go. You know, no, nah, this ain't for you. You get out of here. You you know, you scary. You're going you gonna, you gonna to punk the game one day. Get out. Now, the whole part about the reality of it is some of them don't be weak right then. But boy, later on down the line, they turn into silly putty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you first started getting in trouble with the law? With the law, 13. recognized by the law? Thirteen. 13, yeah. Is that the first time you went to, to YA? I went to YA at 14. I, I started getting in trouble at 13, you know what I'm saying, going in and out of juvenile hall. Then um, around, you know, late my late my late 14s, I went on and caught a robbery, assault and a robbery, and went to YA. Oh, damn. How long was that for? The first time I went, I went, I did, let me see. I did three years or a little over two and a half, almost three years, I got out and I stayed out two weeks and I went back and did like four years. Oh, wow. shit. Wow. You got a little taste of the freedom and then let's go back, Tune. Oh, yeah, it was it was always like that with me. I mean, in and out of Hawaii, in and out of prison, in and out, it was always maybe, uh, you know, two weeks, a month, a month and a half, two months. Before now, the longest I had ever stayed out was like four months. Oh, and for wow. me, that was like a lifetime. I bet. What what was your mentality like the first time getting put away? It didn't bother me. No way. You know, they have a term when they said uh institutionalized. I believe, I believe my, my first time going to juvenile hall, I became institutionalized because I was in, you know, I was in there and um here it is, it's a hundred hundreds of little kids my age, you know, everybody's gang affiliated, whether they you know are black or Hispanic everybody's gang affiliated, everybody's in there, you know what I'm saying, trying to become, striving to become this, you know, an OG and, you know, repping they, you know, they, they sets and all this and that. And for me, it was just pure excitement, you know, like, wow, I'm, I'm seeing dudes from different gangs and, you know, I'm meeting different people. And it was like, whoa, wow. And it, for some reason, it just didn't bother me. And so when I, when I got out, I, I didn't care about going back. I really didn't. I just really didn't. I looked at it as I'm in here with all these dudes from different hoods. It's on me to be a representative of my set now and let them know my set is just as tough as theirs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So only thing was on my mind was just acting as a straight fool to let them know that my set, the Avalons, were crazy too. How how big was the Avalons back in your day? Like how many how many members would you think? You talking about when I first started going to Juno Hall? Yeah, yeah. Avalons have four different subsets. You got you got 40th Street Avalons, you got Five Tray Avalons, you mm -hmm. got 88th Street Avalons, and you got 116th Street Avalons. Back when I started going, though they weren't though all those subsets either weren't around or we didn't have any connection with each other. The connections and the, you know, all that start coming about years later. 
So I could just only speak on five Trey Avalon. You know what I'm saying? My my natural main Avalon set. I you know what? I would be hard pressed as a as a as a kid at that age to tell you how many of it it was. I know I'm from the third generation. Yeah. And my generation, when we came about, all of my my, my peers, it was about 30 of us. It was about okay. 30, 35 of us. But now, like I say, you know, of course, we had older homies that was there before us. Now, how many of them it was, I really couldn't tell you. Because, you know, as a young kid, my focus is on my peers who I run with. And so this 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 group of 30 right here, this that was my world. You know, that was my world. And with those other subsets, did everybody get along or was there internal beef with them too? We got along because at the time we really didn't fool with each other. We knew we knew of them, but as far as, uh, as us being hooked up with them, it just wasn't like that. But now, you know, we just knew of we just knew there were other streets that had the Avalon moniker on their name. But we didn't we didn't we didn't really look at it as, you know, well, let's hook up and all that. That came years later. So we just knew of them, but we didn't pay attention to them. Were you in the youth camps or was it an actual youth uh, like a prison? I went straight to uh, youth CYA. I skipped over camp because when I was in juvenile hall, I, I kept fighting too much. I kept getting into stuff. I had a chance to go to camp, but I messed it all with fighting. And so even when I, you know, in, in juvenile hall, I started out right then, started doing lockdown programs. You know, they didn't want me in regular population. They put me in like the whole, like, like, for instance, like in prison, they got what's called the shoe. So way back when I was in juvenile hall, there was no shoe or none of that, but they had lockdown programs. And I immediately got put into lockdown programs and messing up, fighting the staff, fighting other, you know, inmates. So they was like, nah, nah, camp's not for you. You need to go to white. And they shot me straight to white. They didn't feel that you would be able to integrate well with the other camp members, I guess. Then. <laughs> Probably. I mean, you know, if I would have went to camp, you know, usually camp is a six month, it's a three to six month program. So you go to camp, you go do three to six months. I, because of my case and because of my, the aggression that I had in me at the time, they was like, no, you don't need to just do no six months to get back out. We need to put you on ice for a cup for a little while. <laughs> so that's why they went on and sent me straight. To why? And if you could uh, even uh, recollect, how many fights do you think you got you got into in between these lockdown programs? Well, let's go with with juvenile. When I came through the door, I, I had a chip on my shoulder because you know my thing was okay. Now look, this is how LA is. When you you know LA is real big. And it's and it's very gang infested from one end to the next. But when you're a, you you know you're a young kid, you know 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, you're not going all over LA. Your whole life is right there in your neighborhood. You know that's mm -hmm. really all you know. So you don't know about all the other gangs that are around LA. You know what I'm saying? The only gangs you're gonna know about are the ones that's directly adjacent to yours and the one or two dudes you might meet going to school that might be coming from other areas, you know, and you might, but now, but hearing about all the other ones, you just don't know about it, you know? And so by the time you can start going to juvenile hall, soon as you come through the door, you know, you meeting hundreds of, of, of young kids 
from 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 scores and scores of there. Where you from? I'm from such and such. What? What is that? You know what I'm saying? And they asking me, you know, where you from? Oh, I'm from such and such. And they like, you know, what is that? So here it is, you a young kid, and somebody asks you, where you from? And you tell them, and then they act like, you know, they they they've never heard of it, which nine times out of ten, they probably hadn't. But now you kind of take it as a form of disrespect. Oh, you're trying to say we ain't known? Bam, there it goes. <laughs> you know? Now you know. <laughs> now you know. And how long did it take for that chip on the shoulder to go away? Shoot, once I hit the Y system and start start really doing time, really doing time. Yeah. You start realizing that the more that you're getting yourself into the trouble, the longer you're staying around. Or were you even thinking about getting out? Was that was your life? Were you becoming that this is your life in here? Yeah, I didn't. Getting out was was the furthest thing from my mind. Could care. Did not care one bit about it. Whenever whenever they did it, they did it. My thing was uh, each and every day. What was I going to get into next? You know, who you know, who were we going to get into it with? And what was going to be about? Um. I, you know, home, home was a figment of my imagination all the way up. I mean, you know, like I say, that was from a kid, but all the way up into my prison, um, start doing prison time into my, you know, twenties and thirties and stuff like that. Still the home thing didn't matter to me. You know, when I, you know, got older, start going to prison, start catching stabbing cases in prison and, and going through all the rigmarole. My motto was I'm not home till I get there. You know what I'm saying? When I yeah. make it out the gate and I'm there, then I'm there. But until then, as long as I'm on this side of these walls, I'm going to do and program according to how I'm supposed to do and program in this world. The, my last my last stay in, in the California prison, the day I went home, I went home on lockdown because the day before that, uh, one of one a crippy got stabbed, one of the homies he got stabbed and by, by the Mexicans and, you know, if if the gates would have opened the next day, I was gonna catch me a stabbing case and I wasn't gonna go home. And my home and my celly, my home, the homie in the cell with me, he was like, Tune, don't worry about it, man. You're going home tomorrow. Cause you know, we we getting our knives out our TV, you know, we put the knives and all type of stuff. But anyway, and I'm telling him, I'm like, homie, if these gates right, I'm taking off. We call it taking off. I say, if these gates right, I'm taking off on these fools right next door to us, because you know. You know, the homie done got hit. So now we got to hit them. And he was like, man, you going, I'm like, man, I don't care. I'm not home till I get there. You know how I do it. And that's how my mind was. You know, you know, some people mind go different directions, but that's the direction my mind went. I got a bit of a personal question then. Do you think that being out scared you? No, no, no? not at all. No, uh -huh. no. I mean, when I was out, I, I, I loved being out. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the average. I'm not the norm. I'm not the norm by far. I'm, I'm in an elite class of dudes that there's, you know what I'm saying? Each set has at least one of my kind. Yeah. yeah. Two or three, but I'm, I'm one of them ones. It didn't know. I wasn't scared to be out. I loved being out because I was able to further my gang activity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, you know, the gang stuff kind of consumed me when I was young and that's all that matter. Okay, now I'm on the streets, so now I can do more damage to our so-called enemies. And, you know, I took to it wholeheartedly each and every day. That's all I, you know, I woke up with it, went to bed with it. And because in my mind, I always knew I wasn't going to be out here alone because of the things I was into. You know, my sisters, they would ask me, uh, well, how long are you going to stay this time? 
before you go back home. They called jail home for me. They said, I, when I get out, I was on vacation. Well, how long, <laughs> you gonna, how long you gonna stay out on your vacation? And I'd be like, man, I don't know. Whenever they lock me up again, because I knew, I knew what I was doing was going to eventually get me locked up again. What was the hardest time you ever did? Oh, shoot. I can say when I started doing time in the Alabama prison system. Alabama prison system is so much different from California's. But, I mean, as far – but now I can say that was that was the hardest. But as far as it being really, really hard to me, no. I've never stressed in prison. I've never stressed over it. We have a saying – I do time. I don't let time do me. You know what I'm saying? I was always, I was always laughing. I was always jovial. I was always playing. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't the type to come out every day with, you know, a mean mug on my face, grouchy, irritated, don't want to be bothered. That was never me. I was pretty much the same person each and every day. Hey, hey, you know what I'm saying? But of course, do, do not let that person fool you because there's a switch. You know what I'm saying? I can go from zero to a hundred. I could be laughing at you right now, and within within three seconds, stabbing a dude down over here. You know, and still had that same smile on my face. It was just, you know, I never knew what the term sociopath was until I had to start going see the prison psychs a lot, and they were like, "Well, you're a sociopath." I'm like, "What the heck is that?" Until I started looking it up, and I was like, when I seen the definition of it. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess. But um, as far as just doing real hard time, I've never been one to let it bother me. I've seen a lot of people stress out. Some people kill themselves, cut themselves, um, go crazy. You know, they got to be put in padded cells and just not, I'm like, you know, hey, you know, no, uh-uh, that ain't, no, that's not me. Because, you know, solitary confinement never bothered me. Being in population around everybody else never bothered me. It just didn't bother me. You know, I can flip the switch on my mind. If I'm in solitary confinement by myself, oh, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I, I do my exercises. Um, You know, I read or, you know, whatever. Until it's time for me to, you know, go back around everybody else. It just what, never bothered me. What's the longest stretch in solitary confinement that you've done? Uh, about three years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And they don't give you no yard time with that, right? Yeah, you get you get one hour a day. Oh, you do get one hour. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's no program that can legally, you know, you know, solid, you know, put you in solitary confinement for 24 hours like that. Now, you know, when you're going through the process of getting processed and 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 getting put in, now if it's not a situation where it's emergency lockdowns and stuff like that. Like in, in, in the hole in confinement, they'll let you out for one hour a day to the exercise yard. Sometimes you and your celly can go together. Or if you don't have a celly, which most of the time I didn't have one because I preferred to be by myself anyway, um, I would go out there by myself. But it was a lot of times that you just didn't care about going. You know, I, I would go for weeks without never coming out the cell. It, I didn't care. It didn't make me no difference. Yeah. How do you get the option of having a cellmate or not? The option of it is not having a celly because they're going to put somebody in there with you. But you have the option. You'd be like, hey, man, no, nah, I don't want nobody in cell with me. And sometimes, you know, certain places be like, are you getting a celly? We need to. And you hey, put them in here and I'm going to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, that would, you know, you have to give it to them. Like if you put them in there, I'm going to kill him. Now they can't put them in there because you made because you've made that statement. Now they are up under a lawsuit if something goes wrong. 
in in one of your live streams, you were talking about you kept a five star system, and everybody ran on the star system. If a motherfucker was disbehaving or disrespecting you, they were getting a star, and you let uh, some stars pass. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> okay, that was during my white time. That was. <clears throat> around the time I was like around 16, 17, 18, before I started going to prison, prison. I was in the lockdown program, as usual, again, called ONR. And uh ONR, they have um, they have, they have, it's a three, it's a three-month program. And um, you have you have first, second, and third phase, then they put you back in population with everybody else. But when you first come in, or if you get in a fight or whatever you do wrong, they'll put you on this certain tier called the TD bank. And if TD means temporary detention. Where you know it's like the lockup cells. You know, the police would get on my nerves. You know, I call them police, but they was really like staff. But they would get if they got on my nerves or bothered me, I'm like, okay, you know, I was one of them cats, I will gas you. I didn't have a problem with it. And gassing is if you uh take uh uh urine or feces or spit or whatever and throw it on the police. They call that gassing them. And I was notorious for it. I was really <laughs> notorious for it because you know, it got to the point sometimes they wouldn't even let me out my cell. Nah, nah, skip it cell. And I'd go crazy. I don't want to come out. Ah, nah, shut up. You're not, no, nah, we don't trust you. You're not coming out. I want my shower. You ain't getting no shower. Shut up. Okay. All right. And so what it was, all the staff that worked there, I put their name on a list and I let them know if you say or do something wrong to me, you're going to get a star. And when you get the five stars, I'm gassing you. And so, <laughs> At first, yeah, at first they thought they were just fun and games till I start till I start melting them. Cause you know, <laughs> here it is. You got you take a shampoo bottle and you got you got you got you got urine, you got piss in it, been sitting up for two weeks. Hey man, it'll knock the paint off the wall when it yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And they did not want it. Boy, look here, because man, whoosh. Man, they you see them again at work and they eyes, they eyes look like this. Ah! <laughs> so, you know, and, and of course, you know, I wore I wore many beatdowns. They beat me down. They would they would come in there running there with them shields and sticks and hit me and whoop me and you know hog tie me and tie me up and but you I just didn't care. I, I you know do what you're gonna do because in my world I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm gonna do and I'm gonna do it to you. So you might as well come on and do what you're gonna do. So it got to the point where they learned. Okay, it, you know anything short of killing me. That you can't, there's nothing you can do to me. So now piss me off, you're gonna get a star. And you get five of them, you have an issue coming. So it got to the point to where I'm talking about the staff, the police, when I when they would let me out for shower, they would come in, search the cell. They knew don't mess with my my I used to call them my weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> you go up under my bed and you mess with them bottles. You automatically get an issue. I don't care if you got no stars. Now you automatically got five stars and you can get ready. And they knew, I don't care if it took a month, two weeks, a week, I was going to get them. They were going to get it. My memory was longer than an elephant's and you were going to get it. So they got with the program. They, they would come in there and they'd look at that paper. And if they got out, they would ask me all the time later on, two, because uh, they call me by my nickname, two. Man, I got three stars. How'd I get another star? Last week, I only had two. <laughs> and I tell him, well, you did this. Oh, come on, man. Don't give me a star. <laughs> yeah, I trade they butts. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Man, the police legitimately scared to piss yep. you off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, think, and hey. you've, you've always been a big guy. You used to fucking rip on people. You were huge, right? I've, I've been over 200 pounds since I was 12. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, hey, I, I just think you were a gentleman for giving them five stars and not just a three star program. You know, five, oh. that's pretty lenient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. I called myself giving them a little break so they get right. And I <laughs> and I used it to my advantage. Man, I'd be in there hungry and I'd be like, hey, I want another tray. You know, we can only <laughs> right, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and clear, all star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and that that was when you were uh like 16? Is that yeah, what you were 16, yeah? 17, 18, yeah. So you get out. How old were you when you got out after that run? When I got out of way? Yeah. Yeah. I was uh either 18 or 19. And then were you on the streets or did you just get sent to prison? No. Uh I went, I went home to the streets, but they tried to send me straight to prison. They had a program. Matter of fact, I was 19, almost finna turn 20, if I can remember right. But anyway, they had a thing. If you messed up and why too much, they would send you for an evaluation to Tracy, DVI, uh, dual vocational prison. They would send you to Tracy for a three-month observation. And if you messed up, they would just go ahead and keep you in prison. And if you didn't mess up, they would just send you back. They would send you back to YA. And I almost went to that. It wasn't that I settled down. It was just my time just, you know, elapsed. You know, long, you know, they had a thing called YA Life, Youth Authority Life. And that was seven years. So, you know, a lot of us in there, you know, we would brag about because, you know, you can catch time. You might go in there with seven years, but you could do two years and get out. You could do a year and a half and get out. But if you catch a time, they'll just add it on, add it on all the way till you get to that seven years. And I had already accumulated all my seven years. So it didn't make a difference what how good I was or how bad I was. I was going to do them seven years regardless. So, oh, you know, yeah. a lot of times those be your worser inmates in why the ones who are, they call it being maxed out. The, 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 uh, the, the, the inmates that are maxed out, that means there's nothing you can do to them no more short of sending them to prison. But other than that, there ain't nothing you can do. You can write them up a million times. You can't give them no more time. So, you know, they going to act the fool every day, all day. That And that, that must get pretty fucking dangerous in there when you got a bunch of kids essentially just not giving a fuck whatsoever anymore because they know there's nothing you can do. I can nothing do what I want. Do. This is my house. And that's exactly the attitude we had. That's what come they had start sending a lot of us to prison. You know, we, we, we were what's known as white babies. So even in the in the California prison system, the, if you if you can if you can monitor it, all the people, all the most dangerous people in the California prison system that were doing all the messing up, fightings and stabbings and just going crazy are the ones who did a lot of time in YA. And because in YA it schools you, it trains you, it gets you ready. So by the time you hit prison, oh, you good to go. It's like, okay, it's old home week. And a lot of people say that the that YA is more dangerous and more high tension than prison even is because everybody in UIA has got something to prove and nothing to lose really. And when they get to prison, it's more laid back attitude. Well, it depends on who you're talking to on that one. Cause it depends on the error that they came to prison in 
because like California prison right now is so watered down, it's pitiful. It's super watered down. You got you got so many uh, PCs and dropouts and and dudes that are no good no more and rats. You know what I'm saying? When I first started coming to prison, they didn't have all of that. And so as far as YA being more dangerous, I, no, um, you 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 would get into more, you know, childish altercations such as fights, you know, some stabbings, you know, hitting in the head, rides and stuff like that. But, you know, once you get to prison, when I start first start coming, it, you know, I wasn't no, wasn't no fighting and all that. No, you was going to pick that knife up and go to work. In the California prisons, did they call a buck 50 when you would get one down the side of the face? Is that what they would call it there? No, we didn't have that term. That was, that's oh, no. a, that's that's East, East Coast. Coast. Yeah. 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 If, um, you know, you'd usually get that for being a rat or something or something like that on the East Coast or whatever. In California prison, no, they just going to stab you. They're going for the kill off the rip. You're a child molester, a rat, anything, anything along that line, especially a child molester or a rat. Yeah, they're going for the kill off the rip. When you got into the Bama prisons, what was the politics difference? Like, was it like a shell shock to you? Way different. I'm talking about when I said, I used to always ask myself, man, am I in the twilight zone? I got to be in the twilight zone. Because that place was so much different from California. Uh, it, it was crazy. It was, it was, it was just, it was okay. It was just, okay, for one, the Alabama prison system was 98% just blacks and whites. They didn't have no. I, there were no. When I first came to it, there were no Asians. Period. I believe at the time there might have been five Hispanics within the whole prison system in Alabama, and some of them didn't even know what a Mexican was. You know what I'm saying? Because my crime partner, my crime partner on my case was Mexican, and they didn't know what he was. They looked at him. They thought he was white, and he would get mad. Man, what? Man, I'm I'm a Mexican, and they'd be like, a Mexican? What the heck is that? You know. <laughs> Yeah. And so that was that was that was different. And then they had more games. They had because they had they had a lot of influence from the Midwest, like Chicago gangs and New York stuff. They had a lot of that, like disciples and vice lords and, you know, saying uh, BDs and IGDs and BGDs and stuff like that. All that come out the Chicago area. So they was heavily, heavily into that. And then they had the Crips and the Bloods from off the West Coast in there. So it was all squished into one. They had they had certain ideologies and politics mixed around, and you know what I'm saying they was mixing crip stuff with 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 you know gangster disciple stuff. And I used to have to try to unravel and you know let them know no you know crips don't do stars and all that <laughs> old stuff y'all doing and and a lot oh man it was just a problem oh it was a problem oh man man my first couple of years you know what I'm saying so many fights and. And then most of them weren't even fights. I just put my foot in their behinds. Well, a lot of stuff, because they was just, yeah, they was just wrong. They were just doing stuff wrong. I'm wrong. And I spent every waking moment, no, we don't do that. We don't do this. No, we don't do that. No, it's done this way, that way, this way, that way. And I'm like, God, please, man. <laughs> Did you find that you were almost like teaching them how to be gangster to adopt that California politics? Yeah, all every yeah. day I was teaching them how to um, crip a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Because they were cripping to the best of their knowledge on what they knew, and people had and people had given them wrong information, had taught them wrong stuff, had showed them wrong stuff. You know, some people lied to them, talk about they was from California and they weren't. They coming in there, 
and just to make themselves look like something. Oh, I'm from California. I'm this and that. This is how we do it. And they was lying and they didn't know what they were doing. But because those dudes there, they didn't know no better. They running behind them because at the time, if you was a real crip out of L.A. or a real blood out of L.A., in their minds, you walked on water. It wasn't that they didn't have heart. You know, I ran into a lot of them, you know, was down. They had heart. I mean, for even though what they were doing, most of it was wrong, they were willing to kill or die about it, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't that they were scary. It was a lot of them. No, they wasn't. No, they, they had heart. They was down for the get out. It's just that they was down for the wrong thing. So, you know, I used to have to go out my way to show them. No, look, we do it this way. This, 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 this. And, uh, you know, they polit you know, they politics were a lot different. Um, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't as regimented and, and, you know, it wasn't a well-oiled machine like I was used to in California. You know, you had a lot of people running around doing whatever they wanted to do, saying whatever they wanted to say and, and the whole hookup, you know what I'm saying? So I had to go through the process of changing their mentality on that one. No, homie, you know, we have a hierarchy. Everybody is gonna answer to somebody, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was just it was just a constant, a constant, a constant every day. That makes me wonder how many sets got put together under false pretenses, thinking that oh, they yeah. were official, but no. Oh yeah, yeah. I ran across a lot of dudes out uh, in Alabama. They had took like two, three different sets from L.A. and smushed them together and made one. I'd be like, "You from what?" <laughs> I'm 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 from Skibbity Bop Boo. No, 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 no. There's no such thing. You ever you either gonna be Skibbity or Bop or Boo. <laughs> you know. And uh, they like for real. Well, my they always use the term my OG. Well, my OG told me. Well, your OG is fake. He's false. Mm -hmm. He don't know what he's talking about. And I used to have to straighten that up. Man, what okay? What, what what you claiming? Oh, I'm from Yabba Yabba Yabba. No, 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 homie. That's no such thing. You either from Yabba or Yabba. Is that's it? So I went through yeah a whole lot of that. What took you to Alabama? I, I came out here and I did a jewelry store robbery. At the time when I was in LA, I just got out. I got hooked up with a, a jewelry store robbing crew. We would go out of state and rob jewelry stores because at the time California had just started that three strikes law, mm -hmm. and everybody on the crew had been to prison two or more times. So. If we would have got caught in California for anything, it automatically been, you know, life sentence because of the three strike law. So we were like, OK, well, we're going to go to different states because the laws are different. If we do get caught, we got action to get back out because they don't have the laws that California have. And so we had we had a little crew, man. And, um, you know, I started robbing jewelry stores all over the place doing certain stuff. We were up in a house in a mansion in the Hollywood Hills and we had just came back from Miami on a dry run. A dry run is when you go to do something, but it don't go right. So we come back. And so we were like, okay, well, shoot. Um, What's up with, uh, let's look at the paper. So we're looking at the paper and it was like, okay, an armored car back in Florida. I'm like, no. I said, you know, nine times out of 10, if we, if we hit the armored car, we gonna probably have to hurt somebody, kill somebody. I said, I really didn't want to do that. I just didn't want to do it. Well, you know, I'm down for anything, but I just didn't want to do that. And so he said, well, the next thing on the list is a, a jury store in Alabama. I used to drink at the time. So I'm sitting there with some uh, Tangeray and Alizé. And I'm sitting there sipping. And he said, Alabama, and I spit it out. I said, man, stop playing. He said, what <laughs> you talking about? 
I said Alabama. I said, man, they don't even wear shoes in Alabama. How they got a jewelry store? <laughs> and I was dead serious. I wasn't even playing. I mean, you know, this is the back then. This is the thought of what people had when you mentioned the word Alabama. You know, everybody thought Alabama was real, real. Oh my goodness. And yeah. I really, I, yeah, I really considered them walking around with no shoes on. He was like, tell me, no, man. Uh, you know, they got jewelry stores and they got this and that and blah 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 blah. So Alabama it is. And man, mess around and went to Alabama, man, and did the. We got there on a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. We we went to go do the jury, the jury store lick Wednesday, Wednesday, and got caught right then and there. I was in Alabama fourteen hours and went to jail. Were you always working working with the same crew when you're when you were hitting these places? No, it it, it would change. Some some people it would change. It would change. Yeah. So what made you stay in Alabama? I got close to coming home when I made parole. The same day I got out, the same day my mother went into the hospital. She was on her deathbed. I got out on a Monday and I went by by Thursday, I was back in LA. And so when I made it to the hospital, because you know they let me know she ain't got long left. So when I made it to the hospital, you know, I seen her, she was all shriveled up and small. And she was just hanging on to see me. She was hanging on to see me. I, you know, I told my mom, I said, mama, get up. You know, uh, ain't nothing wrong with you. Let's go home. And she told me, she said, no, nah, baby. Um, she said, mama tired. I'm finna go. She said, I just want to see my son again. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm the only boy. And she said, uh, I just want to see my son again. That's all. I said, okay. So she said, baby, I, I just asked you to do one thing for me. Please do one thing for your mom. I'm like, what's that mama? She said, baby, don't come back to LA. Because, you know, she know how me in L.A. is, you know, is in L.A. at that time, it was nothing but, you know, jail or death for me. And she didn't want me. She wanted me to stay someplace different and give myself a chance to live life without having to look over my shoulder, without having to worry about what color I had on if I'm in the wrong neighborhood. And she and she begged. She said, baby, make mama promise before I leave here that you just you go. She said, you don't got to stay in Alabama. Just don't come back to L.A. And I told her, I said, OK, mama, I won't. And so, you know, I just went on stay in Alabama. I think the three of us know that mothers are are important. You know, mothers, I I would kill for my mother at the drop of a hat. You know, that's that's all I knew growing up. Mm -hmm. I got I got a bit of a personal question for you, Toon. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your mother? Man, moms was Moms, well, she was real little. Man, my mama couldn't have been no more than about 4'11", uh, five foot even, maybe. And she was a little spitfire. She was a little spitfire, man. She loved me, and she loved me the best way she knew how. When I started getting older and started getting involved with, you know, gangs and stuff, she realized it was, you know, it was nothing she could do with me. She did the best she could do with me. That's how, that's how I end up finally going to meet my fa my so-called father because she had to send me to him because she couldn't do nothing with me but she did like i say man she um she did the best i can uh, me and her relationship got kind of rocky when when the when my sister showed up when the girl showed up um you know coming up i felt like she switched her love from me to them and you know me so at that time you know i wasn't getting along i wasn't getting along with them and um, I got to the point where I wasn't even getting along with her anymore because, you know, she seen me as a, as a bad apple, a bad seed. 
And I pretty much was probably that. That was kind of one of the things that kind of hurry up and pushed me out into the streets because I wanted to get away from them. I felt, you know, okay, you know, y'all don't want me no more. Y'all just love each other. And I'm going to go to my gang because my gang loves me. My homeboys love me. You know what I'm saying? And so that was one of the things that made me take to the gang life so swell because, you know, in the streets with them, it was nothing but love. But, you know, in, in, at home in my house, it was arguing, stress and strife. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, you know, mom, she did everything she could for me, man. I'm talking about little league football, um, school. Um, she did everything she could for me, but you know, me getting older, just start just going to, down the wrong path. But moms, you know, she worked every day. Um, she was just good. You know, she was just a good little woman. She worked hard every day. She did the best she could. But I was de I was destined to be an F up. So <laughs> how often would she come see you when you were locked up? During my early stages of getting locked up, she would always come to juvenile hall. She would come to YA and see me all the time. When I start, you know, doing prison time, she would want to come, but I stopped letting her. Mm. I would tell her, Mom, look, you can write me or whatever, but as far as running up and down these long highways, because, you know, we might be in L.A., uh, she lives in L.A., but the prison might be uh, seven, 800 miles away from her. And I wasn't fit to have my mama traveling up and down them highways like that, you know what I'm saying, at her age, because she was, you know, she had us, she had me late. And um, traveling up and down them highways, trying to come see me now. Because half the time when she came, I couldn't get a visit anyway because I was in the hole. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell her, Mom, I'm okay. I said, look, I'm okay. All I need for you to do is just write me every now and then, and I'm okay. You know, that was my thing. I, I didn't, I, you know, I couldn't have her, my sisters, kids, girlfriends, all that on my mind. Because I'm in this world. I'm doing this time. And I'm going to do this time a certain type way. And so I have to cut it off. Emotional ties, uh, physical ties, all that, I had to cut off for me to be able to survive in the world that I'm in now, you know, doing the things that I'm doing in this world. You know, when I get out, I'll come see you then. But until then, I love you. I know you love me, but let me do this time. Would it fuck you up emotionally when they would come and see you and then they'd be leaving and you got to sit back? Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. I you know, I would like I say, I I'd rather I'd rather not see them than go through what I would go through seeing them and then her leaving because every time she would come, it was just tears. Oh, and I was like, man, come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You 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 bringing me down. You know, I have a I have a hard exterior and I have an inner hard exterior, but I don't care who you are, there's no inner hard exterior. When your mother's sitting in front of you crying, you know, mm -hmm. you know, wanting her, her her only son home and, you know, and all that. So, I, you know, I didn't want to go through that, man. I didn't want to see it and, you know, just, you know, just write me. I'll call you when I can. But other than that, I'm okay, mama, you know, because I would always tell her, look, I'm in my environment. You know, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hit or miss on them streets. But in here, in here. This is my world. <laughs> I can maneuver these waters blindfolded. So let me do me. And when they let me go again, I'll come to you. How many birthdays did you have locked up? From, from late, from, from 1979 till 
from 1979 till 2019, every last birthday I ever had was spent in prison mm. or jail. Wow. I was from my last birthday I seen on the streets before now was the birthday I had in 1979. After that, I never seen a birthday on the streets till 2019. Did you do you notice that you have to change your entire mind state being out like with me it could be like the littlest thing sets me off but i know if i act on that i'm going to get in trouble and there's going to be a chain reaction with if my daughter's not going to have her father around the, the shit's not going to get paid i'm going to lose my job do you do you work that through your mind now a lot more than you used to when you think about the consequences to these actions you know what you know what man like i say i'm when I tell you, I'm a, when I say I'm a different type animal, I'm a different type. That stuff like that, it never did. No, uh, uh. Like when I got out this time, I, I, tra I, tra I transformed from prison to the streets. Bang, like it was nothing. Um, of course, I had little small things that I that I would used to do, sir, such as I get in the shower with my boxers on still to wash them. And I forget, oh, I ain't got to do that no more. Or yeah. I, I get in the shower, yeah, with um, with my shower shoes on. I was like, nah, we don't do that out here. Talking to people, I, you know, I would, I would, you know, say to grandkids or or my, or my wife or something, uh, well, look, I'm finna go, I'm finna go in my cell for a minute. And my wife would be like, baby, you don't have a cell anymore. I'd be like, oh, you know what I mean, my room, my room. <laughs> or if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in the den watching TV or something. And I'll be talking to her about it. I'll be like, well, look, man, I'm finna go in the day room. She said, baby, we don't have a day room. That's a den. <laughs> There's no more day room. I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Other than little stuff like that, I just, I, I mean, because I've been, I see, I've been in and out so many times. You know, I've been to, I've been to, I've been to prison like what, seven times? Six, six times? Yeah. So, you know, in and out, in, out, in, out. So, I, you know, I knew what to expect. I knew how things were. And I just, you know, go with the flow. Go with the flow. You're done now, though, right? I've never, um, I've never been the type that, like, was, like, nervous around, nervous around crowds. You know, you got some people do so much time. They get out and they can't be around crowds of people and all that. Eh, that stuff never bothered me. I didn't care. A crowd of people, one person. It didn't make me no difference. Mark was saying, you're done now with your prison career, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. out for years now. It's over with, with your prison. Yeah, I've been out for years now. And I used to always, I mean, at one time, I thought I could never stay out a whole year. I would see people that stayed out. Because, see, in California prison, it don't make no difference how much time you have. When you get out, you do 13 months, you're off parole. And it's really one year and then the extra year to get the paperwork, I mean, the extra month to get the paperwork done. But so you you all you all and I was like, man, you know, I was like, man, I'd never make it off parole. I'd never, never, never make it off. And I never had made it off parole. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I would see people that stayed out a year, two years, three years, and I would look at them like uh they was a unicorn, like, wow, you stayed out how long? <laughs> a whole year? Ooh, you know, I just couldn't imagine that. That was like you know, purple hearts, green clovers, blue diamonds to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it like trying to get work after after being released after all that time? Trying to get integrated back in, you know, get money coming in, but not go back to to prison. See, when I first got out, I went to a halfway house. 
Okay. And in the halfway house, I'm y'all know what a halfway house is, right? Yeah, it's yep. kind of like that okay. bridge, that transition kind of yeah, a transition yeah. house. And so in the transition house, you know, they automatically get you, you know, it's a six-month program, and they automatically get you jobs and boom, 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 and you know, different stuff. But now that was no problem for me because the, the whole time I was in prison, if I wasn't in the lockup or in the hole, I was working. You know what I'm saying? And so as I, as my time went on. I start going to lower level prisons. I was already, you know, going to the streets, working on yard crews. Like when I was uh, one prison I was in, I was on a work squad to where we actually, it was a four man crew. We actually would go to the streets and work in downtown by ourselves and work. And if, you know, you want to run off, you could have ran off, but you know, what good is that going to do? They're going to catch you and give you more time. And so yeah. I was, you know, the working was nothing for me. I was already used to that. That was one of the things that helped me you know, integrate back into society when I got out this time, because I was already used to being around people, you know, being at work and all that. So, you know, working had never been a problem. So when I got out in the halfway house, they got me a job. I just, you know, I got out on a Monday when I told you Thursday, I was back in LA to see my moms. When I came back uh, that Monday, I started working that Tuesday and just, you know, never looked back, you know. How long have you been living in Alabama now? Four years, you said? uh almost going on five now going on five years now and you don't got no plans staying that's your roots now is in alabama i'm i'm, I'm going to texas i'm gonna go, I'm gonna go I'm, um i'm gonna transition over to texas i'm just letting my wife get some things out the way and because i got i got um i got two cousins i got two cousins uh in dallas i got a sister in fort worth um i got a son in san antonio so you know, I'm going. I'm going out that way. You don't have any family in Alabama right now, then? No, just not you and your anymore. wife. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned you have a son. Do you have how many kids? Do you have? I have two. Two kids. Oh yeah. Kids are great, man. My my entire perspective on life totally did a 180 as soon as I had my daughter. Before it was like I didn't give a fuck about anything. I couldn't care less what happened that day. But now it's every single day. It feels like I wake up and I do it all just to know that she's good, just to make sure right. everything is set for her. My son, you know, he was born while I was out here locked up. When I got when I caught this case, his mom was like four months pregnant with him. And oh. so, yeah, I didn't I didn't have a relationship with him until I got out this time till I got out. And you know, my daughter, you know, you know, my, my daughter, she's my oldest, she's always been there. She my little heart. But yeah, I didn't um I didn't I didn't get to see or touch, you know, my son until I got out this time. But we good. I mean, we super good. That's good. That relationship. It's so important for these kids to have have a father figure, someone that they can come talk to, because moms are amazing. Moms are the backbone of any fucking household. They always will be, right. but uh, but I think back to all the times that I could have used my father's guidance or, or a father figure's guidance, not my father in particular's guidance, because he's a I look at what my dad did and I do the exact opposite. My kids say that I'm the best dad there is. So <laughs> right. to me, I never to me, I felt like I never missed the father, the father figure influence, because, you know, like I say, I always have my older homeboys and um. I had, you know, I didn't like my father, period, growing up because I felt like he abandoned me. You know how a lot of kids are. I don't like him anyway. So me and him were, were never on good terms. And like when I got to the point to where moms couldn't handle me, 
she sent me to stay with him and that was a disaster. I'm talking about that was a disaster. He tried to put you into a blood school, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> where he lived at. And see, he didn't he did not understand what I was going through. He didn't under, you know, he's old. You know, my parents were old. They, they didn't know nothing about this gang stuff. And so, you know, where he lived at, he used to wonder why I would never go outside and run up down the streets. No, 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 no. So when it came time to go to school, bought school clothes, I'm buying all this blue stuff. He didn't understand the significance in it. He just tell y'all, you like blue, huh? Yeah, it's my favorite color. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> so but when it got time to go to school, I was telling him, I'm like, hey, look, man, I can't go to school here. You're going to go to school. You're going to get education. I was, man, look, I can't go to school. You're going to go. See, he's a big old dude, too. You know, all the men in my family are real big. So I'm like, you know, I'm trying to figure out now, what am I going to do? Okay, this this is not going to work. So school day come, he, he go to check me in. You know, they looking at me real funny because I got on all this blue. I'm knowing my mind working a mile a minute. I got to pull a stunt. I got to, you know what I'm saying? Hey, I got to show these folks that I cannot go here. So, <laughs> you know, make a long story short, I seen a blood dude try, uh, trying to get some paperwork from the one of the, the secretaries and I just took off on him. Bing, 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 bing. We start <laughs> fighting. And so, you know, I made sure that it was, it was, I mean, I, I went so Hollywood and got so dramatic with it. I'm hollering, screaming, spitting, pissing, kicking. <laughs> you know, I'm making sure everybody knows this is a problem. So by the time security and, 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 the, and the principal got us, the principal told me and my father, y'all go in my office. So when we got in the office, he looked at me. You know, he knows. He know I don't belong here. All this blue on. He like, where you from? I said, man, I'm from the east side. You a crip? Yes. He looked at my father. He can't go here. So <laughs> you know my father with that stupid stuff. Well, what do you mean? You're going to deny my son his education? And the van said, look, sir, it ain't got nothing to do with that. Your son is a member of a rival gang to everyone in this school. And I cannot uh, guarantee his safety if you force him to go to this school. So they went round and round and round and round and round. But at the end of the day, we were going home. I remember going home in the car. I'm sitting way over here by the door because I thought he was going to try to hit me. And, you know, he was <laughs> too big. That one. So <laughs> when we got home, he was mad. I'm sick of this. This with your mama and your mama. And I heard it. But uh, to me, it was like the teacher on Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> All I knew was, you ain't talking about nothing, clown. I'm not going to that school. <laughs> well, we we don't glorify gang life or violence or any of that. We we share our experiences that we've had throughout our lives, and we hope that the youth can learn from us and, and sort of as an example, something to something to look at and see, sort of a life lesson from. Right. If if you had to give the youth a, a, a message right now that are living that life. They're going out there, they're doing these stick-ups, they're shooting at each other. What would your message be to them right now? I go on a lot of different platforms and, and, and people, they ask me that. And, you know, at first I used to really, really struggle with, you know, what, what to say, you know what I'm saying? What to say, because I pretty much know what's going through the average, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds mind because it went through mine. Yeah. And a lot of people try to put it on, you know, well, it's a single, it's a single mother family when the father's not there. It's gonna, that's bull. 
That's 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 bull. It's straight up. I had a lot of homeboys who had their father in the house with them, and I'm I was in prison in YA with a lot of kids and people and men who grew up in a two-parent home. But at the end of the day, they were still in prison with me. They were still in YA with me. So, you know, just because a father figure's there didn't always mean that everything was going to be peaches and cream because you only, parents only have so much time with these kids. Your kids are being raised by the streets. When they outside about with their friends and their homeboys, they're being influenced and raised by that. When they're at these public schools every day, this is what's influencing your kids. This is what's raising your kids. They are what they see. They're a product of their environment. If they're raised up in this, nine times out of 10, they're going to become this, no matter what the father or the mother is speaking on. And so it kind of get kind of hard. That's why you see a lot of parents, they might just jump up and just move completely out the neighborhoods to an area that don't really have nothing going on. Now, a lot of times, those are the kids that kind of make it. But as far as telling them, talking to them, man, I can tell them, look, you can you can call yourself wanting to be down. You can call yourself wanting to be a part of the set, a part of the neighborhood or a part of it. But in the end, you're going to lose a whole lot. You're going to lose the relationship with your family. You're going to lose the relationship with, with, when I say family, with your kids, if you have kids, with your mother, with your father, your sister, your brother, your aunties or uncles, you are going to lose that. And a lot of times you just, oh, well, he just talking. He, if he did it, I can do it. Yeah, I did it. But now I tell you, and I can tell you about how I did it. But, you know, in that story, I don't tell you about the times at night when the lights are off and I'm in a room by myself and the tears kind of start flowing because I miss my mama because I miss my sisters. You know what I'm saying? I'm still human. No matter what I did or no matter how I did it, I'm still human. So, you know, people don't tell you about that. They don't tell you about the times when if you, you know, if you, if you don't receive mail or you don't get your phone calls and you, and you lonely because you don't know what your family's doing. They don't tell you about the times when you go to bed hungry because you don't have anything and nobody in there is going to give you anything and, 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 and your stomach touching your back. They don't tell you about all that. You feel what I'm saying? And so here it is, you going through life thinking, man, I'm down for this, I'm down for that. But then you learn once you get in there that the same people that you threw your whole life away for are not down for you. You don't get mail from your homeboys no more. Your homeboys are not the ones who come in to see you. Your homeboys aren't the ones who accepting your collect calls. Your homeboys not the ones sending you money. Your homeboys not the ones staying up at night worrying about you if you're going to be alive the next day. They're not doing that. No, they went on with their life, not caring one bit about what you're going through. Your family is the one that's going through all that. But your fam our families are the ones that we do to own and we forsake for our homies in the streets. So, you know, if you got a chance to turn it around and stop it now, I would I would really, really suggest it, homie. It's too much out there for you. It's too much out there. It's too many other things that you can do. It's too much other stuff that life has for you that you can embrace and say, you know what? This is all right right here. Other than sitting in the jail cell worrying about if somebody going to stab you the next day. Or if you have to stab somebody, now you got to go back to court and you're not never going home again. You'd be surprised how many people sitting in prison right now wishing, 
hoping, praying, crying, screaming, wishing and praying that they can have just one more chance, one more chance to come home and be with their family and, and, and never have to go through this again. So for y'all that's out there, that's out there, and you haven't you haven't messed your life off yet, I will tell you, man, think about it, man, because it, it ain't fun. It ain't for everybody, and it ain't fun, man. It is what it is. Man, that's perfect. That's, perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect, bro. <laughs> you got a YouTube channel. Where can yeah. the guys follow you at? It's Cartoon 5-3, C-A-R-T-O-O-N. With the with the number five three, push right up against it. You separate the five three from cartoon. It's gonna send you to a channel that kind of looks like mine, but it's not. You'll see something on there that say cartoon TV. That's not me. You'll see something on there that say cartoon Avalon. That's not me. My station is cartoon five three. You'll see a picture of me with a white hat on. You see that picture of me with the white hat on? You're on my station. I ask that you subscribe, comment, share. And like <laughs> the Foundation Nation, we will put the links directly in this video so people will just click it and go straight to your page. Right. There'll be no fucking misdirections going on. Straight to you. They'll get they'll get all the stories, all, all the stories about what I went through growing up, what I went through in prison, what I what I go through on the streets, it's some educational videos. You'll get the videos. I, I, I sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know, I think it's a conspiracy around every corner. I don't trust the government. And um, I believe in UFOs. I believe in Bigfoot, Sasquatch. And um, I it just, I believe in all of that. Can't nobody tell me different. There's things out there that we haven't seen. We don't know about running through those woods at night. There's things at the bottom of the ocean that man don't know nothing about. And there's things out there in space that we don't know nothing about. And so whenever yeah. we figure them out, we figure them out. Cartoon, we got to have you back yeah. on sometime to talk about that stuff. Yeah. I love conspiracies. I love all thing, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. One thing yeah. that oh, yeah. I've never said on this channel before ever once is that I am the national chief investigator for MUFON. So any fucking UFO report in this country, it comes directly to me first. I review it and then I assign it to one of my field investigators. Or right. if I think it's got some substance to it, I'll take a look at it and I'll investigate it. Right. That's something I, I never spoke about that on here before. I've always kept it separate. But now that uh, I got somebody else to speak with it on because you're into that shit, then yeah, maybe we will talk about some of that someday then. I'll have to have you back on sometime, Cartoon. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, you man. have yourself a great night, and uh, we'll keep in touch, my friend. All Take right, anytime, man. You got my number. Just hit me up, and I'm there. Take Absolutely, care, Cartier. bro. All right, Take thanks. care. Have a great okay. night, everybody.